I don't know whether you've uh, noticed before that usually on the news or um, any sort of current affairs sort of event that's going on that involves like a large number of people, often what will happen is they'll focus in on a few of the individual stories. So it might be, oh, there's thousands in the queue at Wimbledon this morning, then they've got a reporter there and they say, all right, let's talk to this person. Where have you come from? Like, how long have you been in the queue? That sort of thing. And even though that's only the story of like one person and everybody in the queue has a different story, it helps us to understand, oh yeah, there's a thousands there and like this is the sort of thing um, that's happening with them. Or there's loads of people stuck at Heathrow because there's been cancellations or something. And they said, let's talk to this person. Oh, I've had to stay in the airport overnight and we can't find out anything. And understanding a bit about that one person's story, even though they're different to everybody else in the queue, helps us to understand like it's not just a number. Oh, there's thousands of people like this person here. And that's good, good things and bad things. Like That's often um, how we can sort of make sense of that larger number of people. It's not just a faceless crowd. Oh, yeah, that, it's bad that there's a thousand people stranded or whatever. But when we hear the stories, it helps us to empathize with what's going on. I've been thinking about that a bit um, in reading uh, through this section of Acts um, today because in the book of Acts, what we're seeing is God's mission. When Jesus has left the earth, God's mission going forward. And we've said that in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples just before he ascends and leaves, leaves the earth, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then that's how the book of Acts then progresses. So you see that they become witnesses in Jerusalem and then it starts to spread and we've seen them go out into uh, Judea and, and so on. And we see, we hear that a lot of people respond to this message. They respond to hearing these eyewitness reports to uh, what Jesus did and, and what he taught and um, who he is. Um, and we hear that there's people responding to that. And so the number of, of Christians are growing and growing. And we're told in Acts 8 verse 4, those, uh, after there's been um, persecution breaking out and Christians are scattered, it says those who've been scattered preach the word wherever they went. And we think, oh, that's brilliant. Like there's Christians going all over the place preaching the word. And then... What we get, what we've had over the last few weeks and over the following few chapters from that, is sort of individual stories, little glimpses of what that actually looks like. So we know that there's a lot of Christians um, sort of scattered um, out from Jerusalem and they're preaching the word wherever they went. And then we find out different examples of what that's like. So we see that Philip goes and encounters Simon, the, the sorcerer. And then he ends up baptizing an Ethiopian eunuch who he helped to understand um, Isaiah's prophecy. And then we see Saul, who was traveling to persecute Christians, and then encounters Jesus in a powerful way and is totally transformed. And now we're getting into a bit where we're going to see a few stories of what Peter was doing. Uh, Peter, one of the original uh, 12 disciples, we haven't heard much about him since um, the Holy Spirit arrived and he preached to crowds on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people responded. We haven't heard much about what's going on with him and now we're going to see a few stories of what he's doing. And it's just, rather than just us thinking, oh yeah, a lot of people responded, it's helpful for us to say, oh, these are some of the examples. Philip was doing this, and Saul was doing this, and, and Peter was doing that. It helps us to flesh out what it actually looked like when everybody was scattered and started um, preaching the gospel, um, as it says at the start of Acts 8. Think about how, this might be a bit too close to the bone for people in Grace Churches, we've had an outbreak recently, but if you think about how COVID spreads, like one person has it and then that passes on to a few and then they pass on, like that's how like a virus spreads. And that's similar, but in a better way, how the gospel spreads. Um, but like these people became Christians and one went over to this town and they shared it with a few people and one went over to this town and they shared it and it starts to grow like that. 
the Christians are going to different places and in, in different ways, like it's not the same story for every person, the same things don't happen, but in different ways they pass on the gospel and it goes viral in a way that means that 2,000 years later and 3,000 miles away, we are here talking about the same message. We've had our lives transformed by the same message. And how has it happened? How has it got here? It wasn't that somebody buried it in a time capsule and we've dug it up 2,000 years later. It's gone from person to person and it's spread um, virally. So we're going to read just a, a couple of um, incidents, a couple of encounters that Peter has here. Um, and we believe with all everything we read from the Bible, it's God speaking to us. And so we want to ask that um, he'll speak to us through this. Um, we'll understand more about um, God's character and more about the impact on our life um, from this. So uh, let's read it. It's um, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to the end of the chapter. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There, he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. <coughs> Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood round him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that you would speak to us um, through this uh, this afternoon. Amen. Um, as I said, when we're reading through the book of Acts, we're seeing God's mission, how God's mission goes forward. And it's going forward through people. And it's about people. There's around a billion Christians in the world today, but that's not just a billion sort of faceless like crowd. It's a billion people with individual names and individual stories of transformation through meeting Jesus. And so when we say, oh, Jesus came to save the world, that's true, but it's not just like, oh, he came to save a category called mankind, and we're just lucky that we fall into that category, and therefore we qualify in a technicality. It's not that. He came for you. He came to save the world. That includes you, you personally. He knows you by name, and you are somebody who he came for. As I said, Peter preached to crowds on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people became Christians on one day. Here we see him interacting with individuals, smaller numbers. And so we read these stories about Aeneas and Dorcas or Tabitha. I've just written Dorcas all the time in, in my notes, which maybe she might not be happy about because if I had those two names, I'd prefer to go by Tabitha. But anyway, Dorcas is what I've gone with. Um, and I, I like it when you're encountering these names of, of real people. Like, I love it at the end of some of the letters in the New Testament um, where Paul is sort of rattling off, oh, um, pass on my greetings to this person and that person. 
because it's a reminder that we're not just reading some random textbook. These are real people. Aeneas was a real person who had an amazing encounter with uh, Jesus through Peter. Dorcas was a real person who had an amazing encounter. The friends of Dorcas here had that amazing encounter. These are real people. And so God's mission going forward, the numbers are growing, but it's not just numbers. It, the, the numbers represent those people who were being blessed. I think you, you could tell the story of, of Grace Church starting in 2015. You could tell it as a story of growth from, in terms of numbers from 13 people to 50-odd people. But that doesn't capture the heart of it because it's not just a gro growth from 13 to 50. It's the story of Michael and Amy and Matt and Ben. It's a story of people. God's mission isn't a spreadsheet with a graph going upwards. Oh, I love spreadsheets. I love graphs that go upwards. I really do. I really do love spreadsheets. But it's not a spreadsheet. Um, it's real people. I mean, it's all, it could be a spreadsheet, but those are real people that, rep, that, that the pixels are representing. And it's, it's people, and it's bringing great joy to their life. That's how God's mission goes forward. It's amazing how it spreads and, and, and how it grows and the, the numerical growth there. But what's even more amazing is that that growth is people's lives being just blessed. It's God being so gracious to people. Aeneas has been paralyzed for eight years. He hasn't been able to get out of bed for eight years. Eight years of probably praying, asking God to heal him. Eight years of frustration, maybe despair, maybe giving up. Had he given up by this time? Was he still clinging on to hope? But then, on this particular day, like pretty much out of nowhere, Peter turns up and he's healed in the name of Jesus. It's a miraculous turnaround in his life, totally out of the blue. That's how God's mission goes forward, by totally transforming people's lives. Dorcas was, was dead. Like, you can't get a bigger transformation that goes from death to life. But the, there was people grieving, like weeping, they're showing Peter, oh, these are the clothes that she made for us. People loved her and they were, they were missing her. And then Peter turns up and she's raised from the dead. And now there's great joy. Like he shows it, says, especially to the widows, like he brings them in. They, 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 they're filled with joy because of this miracle. That's how God's mission goes forward. Like through bringing joy, great joy to people. It's like grace, blessing just splashes all over the place wherever God's mission goes forward. That's what Jesus does. He blesses people. He gives gifts. Saves people, heals people, resurrects people, loves people. It's not just vague blessings to like faceless people. It's real blessings in the life of real people. Aeneas, Dorcas, the people in Lydda, Sharon, Joppa. Real people, Lynn, Michelle, Martin, Julie. It's real people, real blessings to real people, real gifts. So... I don't want anybody to be sat here this afternoon thinking, yeah, I get that God loves people, but then think that that doesn't include them. It's not a case of you're just being let into the party because everybody's technically on the guest list and so they have to let you in. It's like you're walking into a party and Jesus is shouting you over. He saved your seat. He wants you there. He's shouting your name. He loves you personally, like you. You haven't got in on a technicality. 
And not only does he love you, he wants to bless He can turn around your situation in ways that you never thought possible. It might be like an ace just thinking, oh, it's not possible now. My time's gone. It's not that. He can turn around your situation. These situations seem pretty bleak. There wasn't really anything on the horizon for these being turned around, but through Jesus being involved, they were totally transformed into situations of joy rather than pain or grief. One writer that I read on this said, one of the most devastating feelings in the Christian life is fatalism, the feeling that this is the way it's going to be forever and nothing is going to change it, and that's that. This is the way I am. This is the way my spouse is. This is the way my kids are. This is the way work is or no work. This is the way our small group is. This is the way society is, and that's that. It's been this way for so long, it's just not going to change. It'll go on this way forever and probably get worse, and that's that. But one of the messages of the book of Acts is that this is emphatically not true. Jesus Christ is not dead. He's not distant. He's not silent. He's not weak. He's not uninterested in the world and the progress of his mission and in your life. He is alive, and what he began to do in his earthly life, he is continuing to do. He's full of surprises for churches and for nations and for families and for individual people. That's my first point today, that just God's, what is God's mission? It, like, God's mission is about people. It's about real people. It's about transforming real lives. I just wanted you to pause for 30 seconds and just like, allow that to sink in for you. Just receive God's personal love, his personal um, affection towards you. So just uh, receive that for, for 30 seconds. So God's mission is about blessing people. It's about real people being blessed. God's mission is also carried out by people. So this book, we've said um, before, if you've been around for this before, um, that the book of Acts is written by Luke, and he also wrote um, the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is about what Jesus did when, he's, um, on the, like when he was walking around on the earth. And then he says at the start of Acts that um, this first book was about what Jesus began to do. And this book then is about what Jesus continues to do. It's just happening in a different way because Jesus is not physically there walking around. He's working through his people, through his followers. Now the nature of these two miracles emphasizes that this is Jesus' work just continuing through people. So these two incidents are very similar to incidents that Jesus um, carried out like when he was walking around on the earth. So Jesus encounters a paralyzed man and tells him, pick up and roll up your mat and, and off you go, sort of thing. And that's exactly what happens here. Peter says to um, Aeneas, get up and roll up your mat. Just like what Jesus did. It's Jesus' work continuing just through Peter in this example. And then the Dorcas example is again very similar. Jesus um, gets called to a situation where a man called Jairus' daughter has died. And Jesus goes into the room, sends people out. There's people all over the place wailing, grieving like there is here. He sends people out. And then it says um, in the account of that that Jesus says, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, get up. And like Peter almost says exactly the same thing here because he says, Tabitha um, kumi, which is get up. Tabitha, get up. There's only one letter difference there in the original language. It's clear that this is Jesus' work continuing. This is what Jesus did. This is now what his people do. It's God's mission still going out. It's just carried out by people. In this case, Peter. Jesus works through people. 
he's used Dorcas to bless all these women who were saying, oh, look at these clothes she's made. It's like she was well thought of. She was always doing good, it says. He's worked through Dorcas to bless those women. And then in these two events, like, he uses Peter to bless Aeneas and then Dorcas. But it's very clear to both Peter and the onlookers that the power comes from Jesus. It's not anything special about Peter. The power comes from Jesus and the glory belongs to Jesus. So Peter says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Very clear, like what's going on here. It's Jesus that heals him. And then when he arrives to uh, Dorcas's room, he sends everybody out and then he kneels down and prays. Now, if he sent everybody out and Dorcas is dead at that point, nobody knows that Peter knelt down and prayed other than him. He's come out and he's told people, this is what I did. I knelt down and prayed. It wasn't anything special I did there. I just asked God to do something. The power comes from Jesus. Jesus has used Peter to speak to crowds of thousands and then he's used him, he's used him in these individual situations. He used Philip to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. He used Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch to serve widows in the church. He broke into the life of Saul, who was going to then be used to spread the gospel among the Gentiles. He used Dorcas to serve the poor in Joppa. Jesus is just working through people in a variety of ways all over the place. He uses different people in different circumstances, different places, not in their own power, but graciously invites them into his work and then uses them to bless people. Now that includes you, includes me. How can he use us? It's easy to think here, oh, that's Peter, isn't it, going around? But it's clear as you read through Acts, Jesus is using all types of people in all different ways. And that's how his mission is going to go forward now, by following, by following the same pattern through Jesus using us. Through us making ourselves avail available, saying like, "What God, what are you doing? Where do you want me to be involved? And let's just pause there as well, just to, to, to reflect on that. Just take a moment to think and just ask God, show me where you want to use me. before we move on, I want to say a bit about healing, just because that's obviously a massive, a massive um, part of these two events, is that Aeneas was healed from a serious condition, being paralyzed for eight years, and Dorcas was raised from the dead. And so naturally then we start to think about healing. Is that like, how does God, use, how do, how does God do that now? Does he still do that now? Does he still use us? Praying for healing is something that the Bible says we should do, and it's something that we can often be unsure about. Like, how does it work? Like, what, what's right? What's wrong? Like, what if it doesn't happen? That sort of thing. Now, these stories don't teach us everything there is to know about praying for healing. We want to take the Bible as a whole. But what I want to say about healing is that God can heal. He does heal. We can ask for it. We can pray for it. And we recognize that it's not in our hands. It's in his power. It's in God's hands. There's four things that I've found helpful in this regard, which I'll share with you now briefly in terms of praying for healing. These are things that we've said before in Grace Church as we've encountered different examples of people being healed or different parts of the Bible that are given instructions to pray for healing. Firstly is to say that all prayers for healing are answered. As Christians, we know that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus in a world with no sickness, no pain, no death. And so all prayer for healing is answered. It could be answered now. 
it could be answered next year, but it will be answered in eternity. So all prayer for healing is answered. It's just a case of when. If you're praying for healing, God doesn't say no. He's either saying like yes or he's saying wait. But all prayers for healing are answered. Secondly, all healing in this life is temporary, including these two examples. This is brilliant for an ace. We don't know how long he, he lived, but he's, he's, he's had his life transformed. And for the rest of his life, he's, he's able to walk around. He's able to do whatever. That's brilliant. Dorcas was dead. She's now back alive. That's brilliant. But she's not still alive today. There was another day when she did eventually die. And so all healing in this life is temporary. If you're healed, then great, we rejoice. But if not, we, we keep praying and trusting God, knowing that we're headed to that perfect, healthy eternity. The third thing is to say that physical healing is a great gift, but it's not the greatest gift. Jesus healed a lot of people when he was walking around on the earth, but he didn't heal everybody in every town. Jesus uses Peter to heal Aeneas and Dorcas here, but we don't, there will have been other people in Lydda and in Joppa who had illnesses and problems, but we don't hear anything about their healing. Physical healing is a great gift, but it's not the ultimate purpose of what Jesus came to do. If it was, then he failed because he didn't heal everybody who existed at that time. And in the 2,000 years since, there's been plenty of people um, encountering sickness, pain, and death. In fact, everybody has encountered death. The healings are a great gift, but they pointed to something greater. They weren't the ultimate gift that Jesus came to bring. We'll come back to that in a second. And the final thing I'll just say about healing is that we remember that God's good. We believe, I believe that God's able to heal. But even if he doesn't heal this particular issue right now, he's still God. He's still good. I can still trust his plans, his purposes for my life. We don't understand um, everything that God's doing. We don't understand his reasons for do, doing things, but we do know that his character is perfectly good. He doesn't change. He wasn't good yesterday, and now he's changed today. So we can pray, pray for healing, and then we've, we've got to ask that we leave it in his hands and we can trust him. And so I want to just take a moment now just to, to, to pray for um, healing and here. And there might be something particularly on your mind, like for yourself, um, any sort of problem that you um, want to pray for healing. There might be somebody who comes to mind that you want to pray for healing for them. Um, we're not going to make a big deal out of it. We just, I'm just going to leave it a, a bit of time for you to just pray um, for healing for yourself, for somebody else um, in, in the quiet, and then I'll, I'll pray briefly before we just finish up here. Lord, we thank you um, that you are able to heal. Uh, we just bring before you all the different things that have come to mind in this room um, over the last minute. Different situations that um, cause pain, um, cause difficulty, cause suffering. And we ask you to heal. We ask you to transform those situations. We thank you that we can have confidence that you're good. We ask, us, we ask that you would help us to trust you, that your purposes and plans for us are good. 
and we rejoice that we, ha we are headed to an eternity where these things will no longer uh, be such a burden. Amen. I'll just finish here by saying that these events, like all of these things that we read about in Acts, are signs. These are absolutely brilliant temporary signs. And Ben was saying this a couple of weeks ago, that like the sign isn't the point. The, sign, the whole point is the sign is pointing to something. You don't want to stop at the sign itself. You, you, if you're looking for that sign, you, you're heading to where it's pointing to. The healing and restoration of Aeneas is a sign to the power of Jesus to restore everything that is broken in us. The raising of Dorcas is a sign that Jesus holds power over death. It's a sign that Jesus is where true eternal life is found and will be resurrected like him. And the brilliant thing about these stories is that is the result of them. That, that, that is the result of those signs. Like it's brilliant for Aeneas, it's brilliant for Dorcas, but it's, it's even better because people recognize it as a sign. All of those who lived, it says in verse 35, all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, that's Aeneas, and turned to the Lord. They saw the, this absolutely brilliant sign and they turned to the Lord. In verse 42, in response to what happened with uh, Dorcas, this became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. There's many people there who saw what had happened with Dorcas, recognized the sign that was pointing to how good God is and that had their lives transformed by believing in Jesus. Those people didn't miss the point of the sign. We don't want to miss the point of the sign ourselves either today. These re events aren't recorded primarily to show that Jesus can heal, although that is true. They're there to show us how the gospel continues to spread, how Jesus continues to work today. It spreads through people empowered by the Holy Spirit, preaching to crowds or discussing the Bible with an individual. It's a message that spreads through healing and the, through the raising of the dead and then also spreads through the martyrdom of, of Stephen. It spreads through the transformation of somebody who will go on to impact many people and then it, trans, it, it, it spreads through the transformation of individuals who we never hear about again. It's still going forward like that today. We want to pray that God would use us as part of that.